It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Right now on a Tuesday, it is time to say hello to America's historian. Yes, this little old gray-haired man standing over there with long gray hair and his great big heavy book and his quill pen jotting down things from George Washington to Ulysses S. Grant to Kit Carson, Naked Mountain Men, all kinds of historical mentions. Here's Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. There's still a little bit of brown hair in that uh, that white head of mine. Not much. Not a lot. <laughs> you know, there's a little color there. How you doing this morning? I am great. And by the way, before we get started, we want to tell everybody that they can share in all these programs again and again by going to dr-history.com for Dr. History. That's right. They can listen to all the previous stories and... The story today will be on probably by tonight or in the morning. Well, now tell us what is the story that's going to be on tonight or in the morning that's going to be on right now. All right. Well, we're going to go back to a good old mountain man by the name of Jim Bridger. Oh, boy. So uh, this is just kind of one of his stories. Uh, So we'll get started in that. Uh, There's a guy by the name of Captain William Sublett. Now, he was kind of the head of a, a group of the trappers for the Rocky Mountain Fur Company, and he was heading back to St. Louis with the beaver that belonged to the Rocky Mountain Fur Company. Now, that year had been a great year. I mean, the fur harvest in that rendezvous amounted to almost $170,000. Now, back then, that was a huge amount. In fact, it was the biggest haul of the fur trade in the entire Northwest. Now, I want everybody to just kind of imagine, here's Sublet's brigade on the march, okay? A long cavalcade stretched in single file for nearly a half a mile. Now, if you can picture the mountaineers in their hunting leather, you know, stuff, they're uh, armed with their rifles, mounted on their horses, leading their pack horses down a hill of the forest. Well, basically, they kind of look like a bunch of bandits returning with plunder. But, and on top of some of these packs were perched several half-breed children, that uh, kind of wild-eyed, black-eyed uh, little kids on top of these packs. And, of course, these were the children of the trappers that, uh, from their Indian spouses in the wilderness. Now, before Bill Sutler started, a few of his men got a little impatient. So they set out ahead of the main party. Well, they ran into some Blackfeet Indians, and several of them were killed over in that Jackson Hole area. Well, about the same time, Jim Bridger and a buddy of his by the name of Tom Fitzpatrick, they headed north. Now, they headed kind of northwest towards Henry's Fork of the Snake River. Now, that's up towards Island Park and Henry's Lake up in that area. Now, they were planning to cross the the Continental Divide to the headwaters headwaters of the Missouri. But that was kind of a pretty hot bed of uh, Indian hostility, the Blackfoot Indians. They They were on the rampage. 
Well, Jim and Tom rode off. They were pretty excited. Uh, but, you know, there was a lot of competition among fur trappers. Okay, now there's a guy by the name of Vanderberg, and his name's going to come up here in a little bit. Okay, now they had been uh, at a place called Pierre's Hole. Now, Pierre's Hole is actually west of the Tetons. It's on the opposite side of Jackson Hole. So Pierre's Hole is actually a, another round, rendezvous spot, uh, like, say, on the west side of the Tetons. Well, this Vanderberg guy, he was waiting uh, for gear and supplies because they had to have trade, trade goods that they could uh, hope to, to get an advantage. And anyway, Jim, Bridger, and Tom, they were gone. They hit the trail. And they got their men equipped and with the packs and one thing or another, and they lit out as fast as they could uh, uh, to march on Jim Bridger's trail. And this was about the end of the first week in August. So uh, it wasn't long until Jim Bridger's scouts informed him that his rivals, this Vandenberg guy, they were pushing hard to overtake him. They wanted to follow him to see where he was going. Well, Jim, he was plumb disgusted at being uh, dogged by these, he called them greenhorns. Uh, because especially they refused to divide the fur country with him. They thought that'd be the fairest thing. You know, let's just divide it up. You guys take this area, we'll take that area. Well, Jim and Tom, they held a, a council, and they decided to just kind of quietly just leave, just slip away. And they figured they could fool those greenhorns in strange country anyway. So, so they went to work covering their trail. They marched through water, leading their men over stretches of bare rock, heading into the grassy prairie uh, away from the stream they were following. Then they would scatter and uh, through the grass, every man by himself in a dozen different directions to meet the next day at a prearranged spot. Well, they traveled fast and sometimes they sent a whole bunch of riders off at a different trail just to try to fake off this uh, Vandenberg guy. Well, they passed uh, across the head of a uh, bunch of buffalo herds uh, so that the hooves of the animals would just wipe out their trail. And they used all the tricks they had learned in the years of scouting on the plains and in the mountains. Well, the greenhorn, this Vandenberg guy, he was ignorant of all that country, but he was wide awake. He never rested. He was always on the alert. And he threw his scouts way ahead on the, uh, on the flanks. And he probably had one or two good Indian uh, uh, guides with him, too. And he was ready and willing to learn. Well, uh, so... You know, to the utter disgust of Bridger and his party, Vandenberg just stuck on their trail. They couldn't get rid of them. So they could not stop to trap or hunt. And like I say, this Vandenberg, they just were re relentless, just following. And anyway, Jim and Tom, they kind of lost all their patience. Their plan had failed. Uh, so if they could not shake off these persistent greenhorns, they decided to make a new road. So rather than share the fur with rivals, they resolved to let the beaver alone and lead Vandenberg on a wild goose chase. So heading away from the mountains, they followed the old Blackfoot Trail down the Missouri River, and for some time they kept on and never stopped uh, to set a single trap. Well, the Sandberg guy, he took off after them as fast as he could go. Uh, at the same time, uh, he kept seeing these beaver dams. And I'm sure he wondered, well, how come we're going this way when I'm seeing beaver dams here? Well, in the meantime, uh, these greenhorns realized that they were being fooled and that the country they were heading into didn't have the beaver. So they had lost their chance to buy the beaver at the rendezvous at Pierre's Hole, but uh, now it seems they were be being given a runaround until the hunting season ended, and then the fur wouldn't be worth anything. So this Vandenberg guy, he held counsel, he gave up the chase, divided up their forces, and they went exploring for hunting grounds of their own. 
Well, Vandenberg, he took about 50 men, and they headed straight into the heart of Blackfoot country. Uh, now, here's where inexperience comes in. He was new to Indian warfare. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't long until his scouts found some Indian fires burning and uh, surrounded by the carcasses of buffalo that had just been killed. Well, they hurried back to warn their leader. Now, Vandenberg, again, not too familiar. He took nine men, and he wandered uh, recklessly. They galloped off into the uh, sunset towards the Indians. And he found everything as they had reported. The fires were smoking, the buffalo half-butchered. And... uh, but this Vandenberg guy, he was kind of bold or, I don't know, dumb. I'm not sure which one to call him. He followed uh, the Indian trail squarely into an ambush. Well, the first volley mortally wounded his horse, which fell and pinned him to the ground. He called his men to help him get up, but before anything could be done, uh, one of his guys was killed and scalped right there. The other ran, the others, they just ran for their lives. Well, poor old Vandenberg, he fired and killed one of the Indians, but didn't take long for them to dispatch him. He was, like I say, he was laying there trapped by his horse. Well, the rest of his party, they made no attempt to recover his body, but they uh, rode nine day until they reached the camp of uh, some friendly people. So here we are, Vandenberg's gone, that's the competition. Uh, meanwhile, Jim and Tom, they settled down to trapping. They were, you know, this is what they wanted to do. But they kept their eyes open for Indians. They were not easily caught napping or, you know, uh, caught in a, an ambush. So, But they made some pretty good precautions. They brought in all the horses before sundown. They picketed them in camp. They posted a guard. At the first streak of dawn, Jim would mount and ride at full speed out from the camp about a half a mile. And then he would circle around to see if there were any Indian trails uh, to see if any had approached during the approached their camp. Well, Jim scouted every gully, every thicket, and having assured himself that there were no Indians around, he would return. The horses would be taken out to graze under guard again. Now, on the march, scouts rode in advance and along the ridges on either side. So it was pretty much impossible for the Indians to surprise Jim Bridger. And again, this is where you know Jim Bridger was such a, a, a good mountain man, trapper, scout, all that. But one day, Jim saw a large band of Blackfeet heading into the prairie. Well, they each saw each other, so both parties kind of kept their distance. Well, the Indians made signs of friendship, and the trappers, they replied. And so a small party of Indians then rode out, holding high the peace pipe. Now, it was clear from their gestures that they wanted to smoke the peace pipe. Okay, so Bridger and Fitzpatrick, they're willing enough to have peace if, uh, you know, peace could be made to stick. But, uh, again, they were a little doubtful whether smoking the peace pipe with the Blackfeet uh, would really work. I mean, the Blackfeet had just killed this Vandenberg guy, so, you know, they, they were tricky. Well, the two trappers hesitated, but then a young Mexican by the name of Loretto. Now, he was a free trapper who was traveling with them. He spoke up, and Loretto had a wife, which was a, a really nice-looking Blackfoot girl. Now, she'd been captured by the Crows. Loretto had ransomed her and made her his wife, and they had a little baby boy. Uh, anyway, Loretto told Bridger and Fitzpatrick, he said, you know, don't be afraid. He said, I know these Indians, and they are my wife's relatives. Well, Fitzpatrick nodded, uh, and he turned to Bridger and said, well, I guess we'll go out and talk to him." And he said, you stay here with the packs and the men. Well, Bridger agreed, and Fitzpatrick went forward, trailed by seven of his trappers. Now, one of the Blackfeet chiefs, his name was uh, Chief Sun, he came forward with seven braves to meet them. Now, he'd already he'd sat down, and they shook hands, and 
They began passing the peace pipe around, and this went on for a while. Meanwhile, Loretto's wife, she was staring at the Indians across the way, and suddenly she yelled. She said, there's my brother. Well, she put her small son into her husband's arms, and she ran across to her people. Well, they welcomed her with open arms, and it was their first reunion since she'd been taken captive by the crows. Well, when they learned that one of the trappers had rescued her, their hearts kind of warmed up, and they kind of softened towards the white men. And so all the Blackfeet, they came swarming to greet her, and, you know, they were happy. I mean, a big happy reunion. Well, one of the braves in the council saw some movement, and and he kind of signaled uh, to try to figure out what was going on. So one of the young warriors rode quickly out to the council to explain what was going on. Now, Jim Bridger, like I said, he was back with the other group, mm-hmm. and he became suspicious. Well, the young warrior on the horse, horse had a bow in his hand, and so Jim mounted his horse and, taking his rifle, he rode out so that the numbers would be even. Well, Jim rested his uh, rifle across his saddle, and when Bridger rode up, Chief's son got up to shake his hand. Uh, well, Bridger, he was watching the young warrior on the horse, and he saw that that warrior had some arrows in his hand. Now, knowing how rapidly an Indian can shoot, Jim kind of thumbed back the hammer on his rifle. Now, this is, may have been a mistake, but uh, he just wanted to be ready in case there was trouble. Well, the chief reached for Jim Bridger's hand, but when he heard Jim click the rifle back, the chief kind of got a little uh, suspicious, and he grabbed the barrel of Jim's rifle, and he pushed the muzzle down. Well, in that moment, Jim's finger just automatically pulled the trigger, the gun went off, it exploded into the ground between the chief's feet. So things are starting to heat up just a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Now, before the men on the ground could gain their feet, the young warrior on the horse had already shot two arrows into Bridger's back. So here's Jim Bridger with two arrows in his back. You know, that's a little painful. Uh, a little that, painful, that, you say? This outraged chief. Uh-huh. Well, the chief kind of pulled the rifle from uh, Jim Bridger's hands and he brought the stock up hard and right across old Jim Bridger's neck and, and head just smacked him up across the head well Jim went down and uh, the chief jumped into Jim's saddle and galloped away to rally his people well there followed a time of uh, as you can imagine some pretty good excitement uh, each side rushing to cover among the rocks women ran dragging their kids men jumped back and forth dodging bullets War hoops, crack of rifles, uh, the battle had begun. Now, poor Loretto, here he was with his little Indian boy. His Indian wife was with his enemies, and he was with her enemies. Well, he could see her struggling with her brother's people, trying to get away to run back to him, but they, they held on to her. They wouldn't let her go. Well, now this is kind of a brave thing he did. He caught up the child in his arms. He rushed forward, regardless of the Indians that were shooting, and he placed the Indian baby his little son in the safety of his wife's arms now even the heart of the blackfoot chief was kind of touched by this noble deed and so he pronounced loretto a madman but he let him depart in peace and the young mexican he hesitated but he urged his wife to uh you know just stay there that was the safest thing to do and that she belonged to his tribe and she needed to stay with his people um, so his wife, knowing the situation, she asked him to go ahead and leave, and, and he did. Well, come nighttime, the shooting ended. Each party pulled out under cover of darkness. There was no victory, really, uh, as there had been really no reason for the fight. It was just an accident. 
Well, in the course of all this, three mountain men had been shot and six horses killed. Uh, when Jim Bridger came to, I mean, he was, he'd been knocked out during this whole thing. He found that the battle was over, the Blackfeet were gone, the trappers in camp, and old Tom Fitzbrat, Patrick, he's squatting down beside him, and he says, well, he says, we found you lying there, stuck full of arrows, and we, we figured you was just gone. And he says, how are you? Well, you know, how are you laying there with your head smacked in and two arrows sticking out of your back? Um, so lying on his face, Bridger turned his head, and uh, it was pretty painful. It made him a little dizzy, and uh, he had one pretty good headache, uh, and he thought his neck was broken. Well, he tried to move and roll over, and that's when Tom uh, Fitzpatrick held him down. He said, you know, you better probably ought to lay still because you got two arrows sticking out of your back. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, at this point, uh, Tom says, well, we need to get those arrows out, and so... Uh, Jim says, well, go ahead. And Jim knew well enough that Indian arrowheads were uh, only about three inches long, flat, triangular, with beveled edges and a notched flank, and um, it was held in there by sinews. Well, Jim bit on a stick. Tom got his knife out, and he started tugging at the arrows, first one, then the other. Well, they wouldn't come out. So Jim had a wild notion for a moment that Tim might shove the arrows on through him and cut off the points and yank the sticks out backwards. Oof. But uh, Tom would not risk doing that because, well, you push them through, there's lungs and heart and one thing or another that are somewhat vital. Uh, so Tom says to Jim, he says, well, he says, I'm going to have to butcher them out, boy. Well, Jim lay still while Tom went to work on him, probing and cutting and Jim could feel the blade of Tom's Green River knife press into the wound, flat against the arrow point. He could feel it work back and forth, uh, widening the gash. Finally, he heard Tom's sigh and said, well, there's one. <laughs> so he had one arrow out. Well, then Tom turned to the other arrow, and he cut, and he probed, and he tugged, and he pulled, and he sawed the arrow back and forth, and practically lifting Jim off the ground. And finally he said, you know, he says, this here arrow is wedged in the bone and it's bent around somehow. He says, you're going to have to just carry this one till we meet up with a doctor somewhere. Well, Jim, he kind of grumbled. And he says, well, I don't need to carry the arrow stick with me. He says, try to work it loose. Well, by that time, the blood had kind of softened the sinews, which held the point of the shaft. And with a little manipulation, Tom was able to separate the two, and he pulled the shaft away. And uh, anyway, he slapped the beaver fur over Jim's wounds and fastened the dressing on with a strip torn from Jim's shirt and let him sit up and uh, he led him to Jim's horse and he helped him get in the saddle and then they all hit the trail for the beaver streams so here's Jim Bridger with an arrowhead still in his body now uh, actually he carried that for about three more years and about 1835 three years later he was in Jackson Hole when Dr. Marcus Whitman came through and at that point he said hey you know I've got this arrow in my back it's kind of bothering me a little is this arrowhead. And so Dr. Marcus Whitman went to work and removed the arrow from his back. Holy smokes. Now, don't you tell me that these dudes weren't a little tough. <laughs> they were. We've talked before, Zeb. These guys were a different breed. I mean, can you imagine uh, somebody going to work on your back with a boy knife or a, you know, a... <laughs> any kind of knife well you probably know people you pro you probably know people that if they get a paper cut oh it's the end of the world <laughs> they want workman's comp you yeah. know, and they didn't have workman's comp back then 
Oh, my goodness. The story of a tough guy, Jim Bridger. Now, help me real quick. We've only got a minute left here. Jim Bridger really wasn't a big guy, was he? No, he actually wasn't. Uh, not like, say, Jeremiah Johnson, yeah. uh, John Johnson, some of those guys that were, you know, pretty good-sized guys. But, uh, but again, Jim was a pretty amazing guy. Some of the things uh, that, that he went through, and as you recall, if you listen to the story of Hugh Glass, he was one of the guys yeah. who was just a young trapper that left Hugh Glass after the bear had attacked him. Right, right. Okay, now, Dr. His... was going to catch up with Jim Bridger and uh, get revenge. Absolutely. Which, which he never did, but Jim, uh, yeah, Jim was a, a pretty amazing guy. Real fast, Dr. History, tell everybody how they can listen to Dr. History. Well, the story I just mentioned, Hugh Glass, that's on our webpage, doctor-history.com, and uh, that's a few stories back, but every week we'll put a new story on, so... Uh, by tonight or tomorrow, this story will be on the Internet, so you can listen on your smartphone while you're going down the road or uh, when you get home at night, whatever. All right. Dr. History, better known as Dr. Ken Turner, always does a great job. And don't forget, doctor-history.com. You can listen to those anytime you'd like. Thank you. Great job. i got to run, but uh, have a great week. We'll see you next Tuesday. Okay. You have a good day, Zach. All right. Thank you. Bye. Dr. History. I tell you what, great stories of the Old West. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.